God's good, isn't he? All right. Well, we've got the, uh, we've got the, uh, not only the fall crudge, we've got the uh, fall knees. You guys can sit in here, it's fine. Uh, but anyway, turn with me please to Matthew chapter 18. As I was saying, the fall knees, that means I can't hardly walk, so y'all bear with me. Matthew chapter 18, I'm so sorry to see so many out sick. I'm, I'm really, I was telling Mary that, <clears throat> that you know, you haven't heard a thing about it on the news. They're usually just a squawking. But uh, I know quite a few folks that have been diagnosed with COVID uh, just real suddenly here recently. Uh, they're all doing good, but, it, you know, it, they do have it. And so, but I hadn't heard a thing about it on the news. But we just pray that God will blow this mess out of here. I believe he can do that. I really do. And uh, that's what I'm asking him to do. Matthew chapter 18. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Wow. Who is the greatest? The disciples have had a busy week, to say the least. They're, uh, they've had a, quite a dramatic week. You know, wouldn't it have been something to have been riding shotgun on that ministry for three years? Wouldn't that have been something to watch Jesus for three years doing the literal, out here literally, uh, walking around with him? They've just seen 4,000 fed with just a few fish and a couple of pieces of bread. They've seen uh, all kind of amazing things that week. Three of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration that week with Jesus. And they saw Moses and Elijah come down and talk with Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're, they're don't know, they don't know what to say. And I'm quite sure I probably wouldn't know what to say either. You know, amen, if I was there. Um, and they're like, Lord, do we need to, you know, they want to do something. Do we make tabernacles? And all of a sudden, a cloud enshrouds them. And a voice speaks to them and said, this is my son. Listen to what he has to say. Man, I tell you, it's been a big week for them. Bless their hearts, amen. I mean, it's been a big week. But you know, Peter, these guys, Peter, James, and John were with him there. And, and all through the, 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 the if you study, the, the ministry of Jesus has always been intriguing to me. I like to study what he did, what his everyday things, things that are kind of overlooked. The, the feeding of the four and five thousand, those are big events. The turning the water into wine at Cana. Uh, all those things are big events, but Jesus' actual day-to-day events intrigued me. Aside from just regular spiritual things, that it intrigues me. I like to study. And I look at Peter and James and John especially, the sons of thunder. They're a, <clears throat> I, I'm, I, I just kind of put myself in the place where they were at when they came to. Because all through the... The ministry, they've argued several times if you read the Gospels. There's been an argument come up several times about who was the greatest. And, that, and I'm sure the, the other guys would look around and say, well, he's always got Peter, James, and John with him, so surely it's one of them. And then among them three, maybe this week they're looking and, and they said, well, it's got to be Peter because now Peter has had his taxes paid supernaturally. So a miracle directly affecting Peter has taken place. And I got to looking at that. That's the third miracle in Peter's life that affected him personally. You think about, he saw the, one of the, at the very front end of the ministry, his mother-in-law sick, about to die. And Jesus heals his mother-in-law. 
Well, that's over in Matthew 8 if you're a note taker. But then all of a sudden we see Peter in a storm and there comes Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you and I'll walk on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And he walked on the water. And there's actually a miracle within that miracle because as you begin to see the winds and the waves, the Bible says that he doubted and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And the, Jesus' hand was there and he called him. So, it was a, so Peter, I'm sure they're looking at him and saying, well, he's got to be his favorite. I think that's kind of what they're talking about. That's, that's my opinion of the scriptures. But they're talking about who's the greatest and you see Peter, he's got a lot going on in his life. But not only has he walked on the water, now all of a sudden you see Jesus and him there. And by the way, Jesus never really paid that much attention to Pharisaical ceremonial law. He did what he needed to do. He wasn't interested in all their little rules. But he always kept the Levitical law. Always. Because the Levitical law was given to them by God. And it meant something. And that temple tax was a, was a real thing. That's how they paid the bill, so to speak. That's how they did lots of things with the silver that they took up in the temple tax. And Jesus wasn't going to do anything that would be a bad witness. And Peter said, look, said, you know, what do we do about the temple tax, basically? And so he performs another miracle. There's no way that just happened. Think about this. I mean, you, Jesus is a fisherman of that day. He cast a net, but Jesus said, go and take a line, put a hook in the water. He didn't tell him to bait it with a piece of shrimp or a piece of stink bait. He said, put a hook in the water. Put a hook in the water, drew a fish, and the fish had a coin in his mouth and paid their tax. So there's some supernatural things going on around Peter's life. And so they come to him, and we pick up in Matthew 18 here. And we see them come to him and say, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew chapter 18 says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called him a little child. And he set him in the midst of them and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Your word is so profound so deep, but yet so simple. God, I pray that you help me as an old crazy redneck preacher, Lord, to always keep it simple. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity that you have given me in my life. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. You have been so good to us. We have been blessed. I'm so grateful for all you do. I do pray for all the ones that are hurting and down and sick, Lord. I look around and I'm, I'm wowed. And I ask you, Lord, that you would touch these folks supernaturally. God, they've been faithful. They don't deserve anything or any more than anybody else. But God, we've been faithful to believe you thus far. And we're continuing to believe you and ask you to touch their bodies to heal them. 
And God, be a, do a work as a testimony of your greatness through them. For your glory, we ask these things. Teach us, Lord, from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Incidentally, about those miracles, I want to tell you this. This is just an extra little bit for you dying. I noticed this when I was studying for this message. I noticed that's the only miracle that addressed a personal need in Jesus' life. I've never noticed that. And all the miracles, this, you know, Satan tempted Jesus in the fourth chapter of Matthew to command these stones to be bread. He was hungry, but Jesus refused. But he did this one, and it benefited him personally. And that was because he didn't want to be a bad witness. I, that's just something I saw there. I, I thought that was interesting made note of it in my notes. It's the only miracle involving money. It's the only miracle that involves just one fish. And all this stuff that he did around Peter's life, I wrote this in my notes too. This is pretty neat here. He performed these miracles around Peter. And this third one for him personally had to have affected him. It really makes you wonder. It really makes you understand why 1 Peter 5, 7 says what it says. Cast your cares upon him. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Darcy cares for you. He cares for the, that daughter and that son-in-law and that grandson. He cares. He does care. All right, that was all. Now we're going to get into the message, this message this morning. Who's the greatest? Matthew 18, verse 1 through 3. The necessity for recognition. The necessity for recognition. Who we are, number one, to, to understand who is the greatest and how to become great in the sight of God. Number one, we have got to have recognition. Number one, who we are. Who we are. We, we have no understanding, no, no depth of understanding of who He is. There's no way to understand Him fully. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's no way to know Him but through His enabling, we can know us. And the only way you'll ever become great in the eyes of God, number one, is to recognize who you are. There's not a greater example in all the Bible of King, than King David. Everybody talks about King David. Listen, they study King David at the military academies right now. He's one of the greatest men that ever lived. Not just men of God. He's one of the greatest soldiers who ever lived. He's one of the greatest and most powerful men who's ever lived. We're one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. King David. And this is what David said about him. In Psalms 32.5, again in Psalms 51, David, he makes mention in those verses, my sin is ever before me. And he's not just talking about the fact that he committed adultery and had a man killed to cover it up. That's not what he's talking He's talking about that. But the Bible says about King David, with the exception of that matter, he was perfect. But what does David say about him? David says, I know who I am. Now boys, that's what made David so great, is he knew who he was before a holy God. The reason there's no repentance in our churches today, the reason there's no repentance 
across America, across the world. The reason there's no biblical salvation going on today, no biblical awakenings, no great awakenings, no revivals going on anywhere in the world, for the most part speaking, is because there's no repentance. And there's no repentance in the world today because people don't understand who they are before a holy God. Now we can spend hours talking about why that is, but we're not for the for today. We're just going to understand. You've got to understand who you are. First Corinthians eleven thirty one says the same thing. Acknowledge it is a verse about acknowledging who you are, acknowledging the fact that you are a sinful creature, acknowledging your sin. And of course, First John one nine, that great verse that we often quote that if we will confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But I've said many times in this very pulpit, and you've heard it many times over the years, that word confession there, it's not talking about saying, well, I blew it this week. It's about you seeing who you are and seeing the magnitude of your sin. Seeing who you are, understanding who you are. That's what confession really is. The necessity for recognition, number one, understanding who we are. But number two, understanding our absolute inability to change. There is no ability in and of yourself to change. That is, that is not found anywhere in the Scriptures. Nowhere. I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I, I know what it is, it's deception. It's our, our, the Bible, Jeremiah said, my heart is desperately wicked and above all things deceitful. Who can know it? Hallelujah, God knows it. But I don't know my own heart. How desperately wicked it is. And people think, people's got this idea because some people do well with dieting. I ain't never got their time. But I'm telling you, some people have so much power to change some things in their life. But I'm going to tell you something you will never change. And that is who you are. You cannot change who you are because the Bible says you cannot do that. You have no power. And I was talking about it with Donna just a moment ago. And I even and that, she had no idea what I was preaching on. But I had this wrote in my notes. We can't... People... We've, we really don't get a grasp of death. The positive side of that is I tell f- friends from time to time, you know, this, they got something bugging them, eating out of them, so well, you know, that doesn't affect a dead man. Luke 9.23 says a man that's going to come after me. Jesus said if that man's going to come after me, he must daily take up his cross, take up death to himself daily to follow me. But when a man is dead in his sin, he has no ability to change. He's dead. He really is dead. He's not just a little sick. He hadn't just missed the mark a little bit. He's not 99% good and 1% bad. He's dead. He has no ability in and of himself. You find here, he said, listen to what he says in verse 18. And the wind's working on it today. That's all right. In chapter 18. Verse 3 said, Assuredly, I say to you, 
How much more affirmative can he make that statement? Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted. You have have nothing about you that can change yourself. You see, people turn over new leaves. You can turn over a new leaf. Conscience will allow you to live your life pretty much the way you're raised. And most of us sitting in this room right here, or this pavilion right here, we're raised pretty much the same way down here in the south. You be a good boy, or I'm going to tear your fanny up. Most of us had mamas and daddies in this group. Most of us had mamas and daddies that would show enough come through on the promise. I mean, they'd smoke us. That's what they needed. That's what I needed. I didn't get it near about enough. So you can turn over a new leaf you can, and never be converted. You can practice right acts and never be righteous. That's a scary thing. Because right acts many times are going to depend on how you're raised. You take a man that was raised like I was raised. When I was as lost and as wicked as any man's ever met, my sister-in-law is a guest here today. She can tell you, you don't have to listen to Donna. I was wicked as the day is long. I couldn't say ten words without eight of them starting with an F-bomb. But I was honest. You could have left your purse, Mary, laying in anywhere around me and you didn't have to worry about it. Nobody else would mess with it either, by the way, while I was there. I was honest as a day is long. I was a straight shooter. I'd, I'd stop. I was the kind of guy to stop on the road and help you change your tire. Good old boy. See, that's dangerous, dangerous. That's the way I was raised. To live and live my life with right acts, but that didn't make me righteous. There was nothing about me righteous. We can only, but he said, unless a man is converted and become as a little child. See, the only way you can become is when you're enabled to become. You can't become unless you're enabled by God. He said in John 6, 44, he said, hey, they won't come unless my Father draws them. We're getting there. Who's the greatest? Number one, the necessity of recognition. Who we are. Number two, our absolute inability to change. But not only do we see the necessity for recognition, but also in verse 3, the necessity for regeneration. We're just building and building and building. He said, unless you are converted. There's a mandate there. Listen to this. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Ephesians 2. I can quote it, but I want to read it to you. I've told you all many times about the and you. You never join, start a sentence with a conjunction. But we're not going to get into all that today. I've been ramped and raving about that with you many times. But verse 1 says, and you, he made alive. Who were dead. He wasn't sick. You wasn't just down and out. You didn't need the polishing. You were dead. You and he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once 
walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit of now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once conducted ourselves. But he gets on down there to verse 4, hallelujah, and you can write a, draw a line around but God and write out beside it grace. But God. There's a mandate you must be converted. Colossians, it doesn't stop there. Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive. It doesn't stop. It just goes on and on and on and on. 1 Peter 1, Titus 3, 5. Listen to what Titus says. This goes on and on and on and on. Not by works of righteousness, those right acts. The works of righteousness does not make you righteous. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy. He made us alive. Must be regenerated. Goes on and on. James 1.18. Well, this one's powerful. Of his own will. Not our will. Of his will. You know how come I can pray for a man to be born again? And power and authority. I can get up here and pray for that man to be saved because of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And it just goes on and on and on. James, John, Jesus, but this is my favorite one. Jesus looked at the most religious man that was alive in his day. And I'm going to say, by the way, I always try to throw this in when I'm talking about Nicodemus. He wasn't a bad guy, by the way. He wasn't like a lot of them. When he came by to Jesus by night, I see a lot more there than some people see. And this is opinion. You can throw it out there in that field with them cows. But I don't believe he was being wicked. I believe he really was sincere and wanted a private audience with Jesus because he knew word for word what the prophet said. He knew word for word what Isaiah said about the Messiah. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to heal blind eyes. He's going to touch lepers and cleanse them. And he's thinking, but he does it on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And he's trying to reconcile all this in his mind. I don't think he's being wicked. I think he's really a seeker, as the modern term goes. I think he really wants an audience with Christ so he can really understand what's going on because he wants to be right with God. Jesus looks at him and he cuts right through the chase and he says, Nicodemus, unless a man's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, that's what was wrong with me. I knew every Sunday school answer. Everyone, I was raised in church. I was there nine months before I was born. Every time the doors were open, we were there. I knew every answer, but I didn't know God. But I met him because of his will.
I was dead, and he made me alive. Isn't that good? <laughs> Man, that's good stuff. The necessity for regeneration, there's a mandate to it, but there's also a method, and we're starting to see what the method is going to be. Is because is conversion, he says, unless a man is converted. That's what that is. Here, we're going to see it. I'm going to uncover it for you. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit will uncover it for you. He says, unless, assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become, when God comes to you, maybe it's happening right now. But if not, maybe you can recall that service or wherever you were at. Maybe it wasn't in a church service. But when you come to that realization, I'm lost. I don't care if you're 8 or 88. When you come to that place, God brought you there. You didn't just come to that place on your own. God brought you to that place of understanding who I am and who He is. And you get like David and you're seeing, you see yourself in the utter sinfulness that you are. The anarchy against the Holy God. The rebellion against the Holy God. Who you are. Not about what you've done. Not about what you've not done. But who you are. And there's a humbling takes place. You know how that humbling takes place? That is on you. We talked about it, didn't we? Coming to church. See, the Calvinists are wrong because they think either God's in control or man's in control. And they're wrong. It's both. You're not in control of anything because you're dead. But when God, by the Spirit, comes and He quickens your heart and He awakens you, He births your, He opens your eyes to your heart, to who you are. In that condition, and only in that condition, can you see who you are, agree with Him. That takes humility, and that is on you. Because you can sit here and say, that's all that sucker talks about. Oh man, what about, what about giving? What about, what about healing? And this? He never talks about none of that. All He wants to talk about, I'm, not, I'm, I'm fixing to go down the road somewhere. I'm sick of listening. He sounds like a broke record. I hope I do. I really hope I do. Because what you're doing is you're not rejecting Tyler Powell. You're not rejecting, you're rejecting this. Because that you are refusing to humble yourself as a little child and receive what God is doing in your life. Because if you think I have the power to get into who you are and to get into your heart, you're mistaken because I'm a sinner just like you. And when you get to that place and you begin to say, I'll never forget that morning. And I've told y'all so many times, I know you get tired of hearing it, but I can't ever get tired of telling it. I remember that morning, sitting there, and that old boy who opened that Bible, he said, I'm going to entitle this message from religion to a relationship. And God began to unravel who I was. A deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a good man, a guy who had quit drinking, who had quit pornography, who had quit all this running around and frolicking and carrying on and carousing and all those mean, wicked things that outwardly the world says makes you bad. It just makes you different than most church members because most of them are just as wicked. But I remember that morning when God began to unveil who I was. About 40 minutes of time, God had taken 27 years, 30 years, 
29 years just and just unveiled who I was. It wasn't about what I hadn't done right. What I had done right. It wasn't about none of that. It was about who I was. And God uncovered it. But by His grace, I didn't say, God, let me tell you something. I didn't sit there and start thinking about how the preacher had already approached me about coming on staff at that church as a lay ministry. See, we had too much money. We didn't know what to do with it. Always trying to figure out how to spend it. Because real revival had gone on. And where real revival is, there's hilarious giving. Our budget had quadrupled in 72 days. We had went from 300 in Sunday school to 1,000 in Sunday school in 72 days. And I could have sat there and I could have said, you know, this is crazy. I mean, I, Brother Dennis is trying to get me to come on staff. This is crazy. I'm the best deacon here. He's told me so. That ain't what happened. By the grace of God, I began to agree with God. God, you're right. God, that's what's wrong. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And I can't get down because of my knees or I would. Give you a few little old dramatics. But I got down on that pew. I said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I'm wrong. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, forgive me. And I'm telling you, what does it say in Acts? Times are refreshing, DJ. Whoa, man, I wish I could still holler like I used to could. Times are refreshing from the Lord. In humility. In humility. That's the method. You are converted to a place by the Spirit where you have truth revealed to you and you can become as a little child and you receive it like a little child. And you know what happens? God says, that guy's great. That guy's great. That guy's great. That lady's great. Not because of anything they've done. Because of what he done and they received it. I think about old Lazarus. That guy's laying in a tomb. His sister's saying, Lord, he's already speaking. He can't obey God. He can't disobey God. He can't hear from God. He can't see the light. He can't get himself up. He can't snap out of it. He's dead. But Jesus is standing there. And all the, if he hadn't said Lazarus, the whole cemetery would have emptied. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's all he did for me and for you. He said, Tyler, come on out. Come on out. See, that's what it means. There's got to be recognition of who you are and your absolute inability. But then there's got to be regeneration. It's mandated all through the Scriptures and it only happens by the Spirit through the conduit that He puts in there. He installs the conduit by His Spirit. And through that conduit, it flows into a humble, receptive spirit. 
we end up with this, the means of reconciliation. And we'll wrap it up right here. The means of reconciliation, verse 4 and 5. He says, therefore, whoever humbles himself. And notice he said, not who I humble. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself. We have established that you can't do that on your own. You've got to be enabled by the Spirit. And you're sitting there this morning and you're understanding that. That's what's happening. God's enabling you to understand that. Now it's on you. You humble yourself and you receive it. And this is what happens. You've got to watch as whosoever wills. In verse 4 he says, Therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You got to watch him whosoever wills. That don't mean whosoever's willing to give an intellectual assent to some facts. So you can understand facts. You can give it. See, that's the problem with Baptists. I love Baptists. I are one. But see, we've, we have taken the most radical thing in the universe, the new birth. And we've condensed it and formulated it into five steps on the Roman road. Now there's nothing wrong with the Roman road. It's what happens when a man is saved. But you can say, uh-huh, to all five places on the Roman road and bust hell wide open. It's not about intellectual ascent. It's supernatural. It's about death. Death to self. I, I'm just going to tell you what Paul said about it. In Galatians 2.20, this is how he said it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Man and the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. When you humble yourself, what you're doing is you're dying to yourself. And I want to tell you this, this, the very last point in my message is it's the second sub point under the third point. Y'all know how I am. I'm a, I, have to, I have to do this for me. It's the way I study. I title it The Honor of Humiliation. Verse 5, he says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. In other words, this is the method right here. Listen to what Proverbs says Proverbs 29-23 says a man's pride will bring him low but the humble in spirit will retain honor you want to know who the greatest is to the Lord Jesus the greatest are those who come his way. I love this right here. And I thought about this listening to some of you speak this morning. Listen to the songs. 
thinking about folks I know, thinking about myself. And y'all know I'm not big on quotes, but every now and then one really speaks to me. C.H. Spurgeon said this, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him into pieces first. Let me say that again. Whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him into pieces first. Who's the greatest? The man who humbles himself as a child. Now, you may think I'm preaching on salvation this morning, and indeed I am. The cross is on every page of the Bible. I can't preach a message that's not about salvation. I'm going to tell you what I've learned in walking with God for 20 some odd years. This message is to you and I, believer. Sweetie, we can't do it. Can't fix it. You're right. Exactly right. And part of that is realization that we can't fix it. Walking with God as a born again believer is every morning getting up. Dying to myself once again, afresh and anew, and once again humbling myself. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, the salvation took place many years ago. But today, my chores, one of the Old Testament prophets says, was well, the whole duty of man is <laughs> walk humbly with your God. I've got to humble myself every day. And by the way, just speaking softly doesn't mean you're humble. Some of us can't hear. Some of us got a bad hearing and we talk loud and we ramp and rave. But if we're going to walk with God, if you're going to be saved, you've got to humble yourself. We've established that. You can only do that under the power of the Holy Spirit. But I warn you as a believer, you can't fix things you can't do anything as a believer until you go back. That's what David was so successful for. It's every day he realized who he was outside of Christ. He understood who he was. That's the key to being filled with the Spirit is getting rid of you, the emptying out of you. That's it. That's the greatest He's the greatest guy in the kingdom. As a man who can humble himself and walk with God. Wrapping it up with 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7 says this. Are we done? But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. You know what? I close this message out with this. Yeah, he's talking about little children. Anybody hurt a little child? Man, I don't, I'm getting a flesh so quick talking about what I could do to them. It ain't even funny. They ought to be monkey stomped. But what he's talking about here in context is he's talking about believers. Whoever makes believers stumble, and for so many years, so many false teachers have allowed men. They think, they think, 
have allowed men to come to Jesus on their terms. I say it every message. I say it all the time, and God just said, woof, as I studied this week. This is who he's talking about. Why has America gotten such a shape spiritually? Because men have caused little ones to stumble by telling them a gospel that's not the gospel of the Bible. Allowing men to come to Jesus on their terms, to add Jesus onto their lives. They've done it with salvation. Well, hey, man, come on down here, son. Anybody here? Just raise your hand. Right? Well, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. No. And then those of us who, by the grace of God, have been saved, giving us these little lists of do's and don'ts. And as long as we live by this little list of do's and don'ts, we're good to go with God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Causing people to stumble. To be great, you got to be little. To be little, you got to be like Jesus. Jesus said, I'm, I am God, but I'm bringing myself down to planet Earth and limiting my body to have to eat and sleep. I'm talking about God here. And I'm going to allow wicked men to put me on the cross for the sins of the world. If you want to be great, you got to be like Jesus because he's, he's the greatest. He humbled himself for you. Will you humble yourself for him? If you're here and you need to humble yourself to be saved, I encourage you to do that while he's got you in that condition. Don't think you're going to leave and go think about this and pray over it for two or three days. There's a reason why he, you're in the condition you're in. You need to say yes to God in this condition. If you're here today and you're born again, you know yourself to be saved. God's dealing with you about something. Get it straight with him now while you're in this condition. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, for your power that empowers us, God, to be able to repent. Lord, outside of your awakening and your, your anointing of, 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 of revelation, to the things you'd have us to know, God, we're hopeless and helpless. Lord, I've gone so many days without realizing something was not right, and then bam, all of a sudden you reveal it to me, and I say, how dumb, how blind could I be? But it's because I'm dependent totally on you for that revelation. I pray for everyone hearing the sound of my voice. God, I pray, Lord, you reveal yourself to them, meet the needs that they have in their life, whatever that need may be whether it's salvation or a sin in a particular believer's life, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a blessing that you're trying to deal with them about. I don't know what you're doing, but you do what you want to do, and we'll give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Good to see you all. Be safe and have a good week.